Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello, and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and I am pleased to be joined by Bradley Davis, the CEO of Podchaser on today's episode. I had heard of Podchaser. I knew it was out there. I really liked the the services that they were offering. But then maybe a month or so ago, I had an opportunity to just sit down and talk with Bradley. And when I did, I was like, oh my gosh, what you are creating is absolutely amazing. I just loved it. And so I really wanted to bring him on the show today just to talk a little bit about the platform and some of the really innovative things that they're doing. Welcome to the the show today, Bradley. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I was hoping that we could start by having you just give us just a quick uh, background on who you are and what landed you here in this wonderful podcast space. Yeah. So I am originally from Indiana. I moved into Kentucky and now I live in Oklahoma City. I moved here about six months ago. My podcasting journey started as a result of my job. So I was in industrial sales. So selling goods to manufacturers door to door, which is very uh, not exciting. And as a result of that job, I was driving all the time. So multiple hours a day, I had time in my car, which is like the perfect time to listen to podcasts. So as I started that, I had some personal grievances with that experience to me i just couldn't find a destination similar to like an imdb or goodreads for podcasts it was difficult to find if a podcast was good or not there was no indication of quality if i really liked a guest and i really vibed with somebody's story and i want more how do i find that person's other interviews there was really nothing. Because of that experience, I wanted to, wanted something like Podchaser to exist. And I went to Reddit on the podcast subreddit and basically asked, hey, does anybody want to build something like Podchaser? And that's where I found our co-founder. We have four co-founders, but the first one was from Reddit and he lives in Melbourne, Australia. And so he and I still have not met we were planning you on meeting. Haven't. We haven't. We were planning on meeting in 2020, but then the whole world was on lockdown. So I think we're going to meet this year, maybe. But yeah, that's the genesis of Podchaser. It really came from my own personal frustrations with the uh, lack of availability of data to find more cool shows to, to listen to. And so that's what Podchaser is today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is obviously that's the true entrepreneurial journey, right? Is that you come across something and you're like, like, why is there not a solution to this problem? I don't understand. And then you're like, Hey, I'm going to solve that problem, which is certainly what you've done. And I think a question that I get asked a lot is, why is there not a podcast database or why can I not go and just find all the shows out there? So I know that that's not exactly what Podchaser is, but can you talk a little bit more about what the platform is and you know what, maybe from a, an advertiser's perspective, how they could use Podchaser to find the information that could be really helpful for them? Yeah. So the easiest way to think about Podchaser is 
IMDb. It's a place where you can write and review things on a show level and an episode level, but also we've collected over 8 million credits, uh, meaning who's on the show, whether it's a host, guest, producer, however it may be. So that's our core site experience for our users. Most of our data is crowdsourced, which turns out to be a really effective way to organize data sets. If you look at things like Wikipedia or IMDb or Goodreads, these are all crowdsourced databases. So we also have another layer of data on top of that for our pro users, which looks at things like popularity, reach, demographics, topics, lookalike audience analysis, and a bunch of other cool stuff that is very helpful for advertisers. So in kind of the advertiser journey where we see ourselves fitting in is that top of the funnel discovery planning phase, which is I'm a brand. I want to advertise on this type of show, or I want to advertise on this topic. Where do you find 50 shows that are within those parameters? You can use Podchaser's database to narrow that search down way more efficiently than a series of Google searches and dead ends and frustration. Yeah. That's how advertisers tend to use uh, the platform. Yeah. And so from just a listener perspective, the average listener is using it by going in and saying, Hey, I really loved this interview with this person. Where else can I find content around them? And then they go and like you said, they crowdsource it by saying, Oh, Hey, I listened to this interview with this person, or I listened to this podcast. I love this host. So that you're getting some sort of a two-way conversation because there is obviously ratings and reviews in Apple podcasts, I think about a hundred percent of us really feel like those are all pretty not real, right? Like they're yeah. just totally it, uh, made it's, up. It's uh, fairly gamed. And so yes, the most people use our platform on a daily basis. Those types of people are using Podchaser to catalog their, their podcast journey. They're making lists. They are just trying to discover new shows and they're giving feedback and they're rating things, reviewing things. And then one of our big focuses this year is to further gamify that experience so that the problem with the Apple podcast rating system, we're trying to get ahead of that because we not only want you to know the aggregate rating of a show, but we want you to know who rated it. And we want you to learn who those people are rating things. So we want to make the Roger Eberts of the, the podcasting universe because they, while they exist, there's not very many of them and they're not give, they don't really have a good platform aside from like Twitter to have an archival experience for the ratings and reviews and for their opinions. Yeah. Tastemaking, I think is a gap in the industry that we're trying to fill for sure by making it to where Heather goes on Podchaser and leaves five ratings and reviews and 700 people like your review. It's okay. Well, then everyone else should pay attention to Heather. Clearly people are, are watching and, and care and we can gamify that through data. So yes, to answer your question, I think that is quite an issue. There's there's a lack of of quality indicators in the podcasting world and and quantity indicators as I'm sure you're well aware of and we think we can tackle really both things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that is so fascinating. I hadn't really considered it from that perspective before, but ideally what you're trying to create is 
someone who has given enough ratings and reviews and enough people like their feedback that you could very reliably trust them that, oh, I know that if Bradley left this feedback because he's left so much other feedback that I can trust that as opposed to... Because I think the, the reality, obviously, with Apple reviews is that people get their cousins and their aunts and uncles and the you know person off of Fiverr or whatever to leave them ratings and reviews. So none yep. of them are accurate because they're like, hey, I just need to get five stars or four and a half stars or whatever. But we also have no idea who's leaving those reviews. And so your fix to that is that transparency. And obviously like on Yelp, there's that feature, right? Like where you can see like how many reviews has this person left and yep. you can follow it from that perspective. So that essentially is what you're doing. Yeah, it's a balance. Yelp tends to have much lower reviews than Google, for example, for a restaurant. That is uh, a good thing in some ways. Mm -hmm. I think Yelp is maybe a little too critical mm -hmm. overall because most Google things with over 100 ratings and reviews are 4.5 or above. So I think the reality is that not all podcasts are 4.5 and above. I'd argue very few. If we take it the whole universe, I'd argue that the vast majority are not uh, 4.5 or above podcasts. So we want to be mindful that podcasting is not everyone's full-time job and we don't want to detract from people's hobby or livelihood. But at the same time, I think it's important that whenever a publisher releases a show, they're not all hits. They're not all wonderful. And it's important that consumers can get ahead of that efficiently with data so that podcasting can keep growing because it's frustrating because you really have to listen to stuff at this point or hear it from a friend. And then you might sink five hours into a show and you're like, oh, screw this. Like this is not even good. And I don't know where to go to qualify um, spending three hours on something yet. So I think in the next couple of years, we'll have a Rotten Tomatoes IMDb kind of experience through Podchaser that will help this issue quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I, I think that you're right. And I feel like that is something that we overlook a lot. Podcasts are so valuable because they are created by independent producers and we're not trying to in any way say, Hey, all those independent podcasters out there like myself are creating podcasts and really have absolutely no formal training in this are, are bad shows. But mm -hmm. the reality is that when you're looking for a super superstar show, when you're looking to invest a lot of time in a podcast, it is so nice to have that information. Is there a way for you to also go in there and say, I like that show. And then all of a sudden now I get a recommendation for 10 other shows that are similar? Yes and no. So you can go to how I built this on Podchaser and there's a related podcast section that takes user activity and generates 20 shows that are similar to how I built this. That is not served to you directly. You, you have to go to the How I Built This page. But over time, yes, we will we will be serving those recommendations directly to you based on what you rate and review and what you follow and who you like to make that process a little bit more efficient. But yeah, we have an algorithm that goes through and looks at everyone's ratings and reviews, everyone's activity and groups and clusters, podcasts together. The big focus of ours too is properly categorizing, tagging and sussing out that the niche and the niche all-stars, like there's, there are a lot of podcasts about podcasting, but many of them are better than others. And so I think that makes it more of a fair race in a sense to pit you against 
other independent podcasters who don't have formal training necessarily. And also there's plenty of room for there to be 20 of those. Is there plenty of room for there to be, there's probably 500 of those. Are they all great? Probably not, but I bet there's 20 that are really good. So that's the goal too, is to niche down as much as possible Mm -hmm. so that the, the race is more fair. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes absolute sense. Yeah. And for instance, I like to listen to podcasts within the podcast space. And I feel like it's tons of fun, but none of my friends or family would want right. to, right? Like exactly. they're, just, they're not like, what are you listening to? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think that makes total sense. Now, one of the questions that I get from advertisers a lot is they'll come and they'll say, and I get this from advertisers and from podcasters, but they'll say, Oh, this show ranked it was number 10 in the Apple podcast ratings. That must mean it's a really great show. And I feel like I have a hard time explaining to advertisers and podcasters that, hey, that is amazing that you're ranking so well, like a nice job, or hey, this show is a great show, but doesn't really mean a ton. Would you say that Podchaser has been able to establish maybe some more credibility around, Hey, these are rankers and there is value in this. And it really does matter that you're number five in this category or what have you. Yeah. As part of our pro service, we, and this actually, we just released this um, yesterday. So uh, we were always trying to innovate. So we do now display Apple, Spotify, Google and Stitcher charts within our insights tab that also shows downloads. So I think that's the answer is you're totally right. You can chart really well, but really not have a very large show, but it means that you're gaining some sort of momentum. And so if you're number one in some category, you probably have a decent listenership and, but you're not Joe Rogan, like you're not number one, number one, that's not what it means. So by having both pieces of information, I think that's the answer here. Also depends on the advertiser's goal or whoever's trying to interact with the podcast. Maybe you're within a niche and you're you want your your executive to be on that podcast as a guest, and they're number one in health science or whatever. If that's recent, then that's valuable, and it doesn't really matter if they have a million downloads. So, yeah, I think to us, we view ourselves as an aggregator of all that information. So, having the chart data, but also having our monthly reach number is the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that's really great. So I'm curious if for the average advertiser out there, let's say maybe they're a director consumer brand, they're interested in getting in the podcast advertising space. Do you see a lot of companies like that coming to Podchaser and saying, Hey, I'm going to sign up because I want this information and I want to use it to help me make advertising decisions or are you finding that your customers tend to be agencies maybe in this space who are going to be working with multiple clients? Who's best to use your, your product from an advertising perspective? Yeah. So I think last time we talked, it was agencies and we have a lot of the major podcast ad buyers on our platform, which is great. And then we realized, okay, these agencies are buying ads on behalf of brands and so as we started talking to more brands and as brands started approaching us, we started selling a lot more to brands. So it's both. I think a large enough brand that has their own staffing for that purpose can use our platform just like an agency can use the platform. So we've seen both. We, a lot of brands 
will use us for PR purposes and ad buying purposes as a qualify like a qualifying step for for opportunities that are presented to them. But yeah, like I said, last time we talked, I I didn't really know who who would want this data because we just released this product in November of last year. So we're still learning a lot about who's using this. We we have a lot of nonprofits using the platform today. We didn't expect that. We have a lot of that is seems does seem really unexpected to me. Why do you think nonprofits are drawn to it? Because I think the most efficient way to advertise your business is getting on podcasts. Mm-hmm. And and finding those podcasts is really hard. Mm-hmm. We make it way easier to find those podcasts and then also qualify them with things like reach and demographics. The same can be said for buying ads. Some of these nonprofits are developing media plans and there's a discovery phase that is a, a lot of times Google. <laughs> and so we can we can make that process more efficient. So yeah, we're always surprised. There's some restaurant chains some hilarious restaurant chains that are using Podchaser Pro. I would have never guessed that in a million years. And so we're we're constantly learning about the ways people are are wanting to use the the data that we provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that it is really fascinating. And obviously I like to look at everything from an advertising perspective, but I, I also do really think that when people are new to podcasting, not that you shouldn't go and just head to buying ads because there's nothing wrong you know, with just entering the space as an ad buyer. But I do think that there's a lot to be said for getting exposure for your company through interviews on podcasts. And while there are certainly a handful of services out there where you can work directly with them to arrange interviews for you, which takes a lot of the legwork out. There's a lot of power in podcasting beyond just advertising. And one of the biggest challenges with podcasts is that there are so many that really honing in on the right shows, like we've been talking about, is such a challenge. So I would think that, like you mentioned, from a nonprofit perspective or even from a business's perspective, hey, we want to get our CEO interviewed on different shows. How do we know who to target or how do we get to those shows? They can use the platform from an ad- for advertising, but they can also use it for interviews. Is there another way that you feel like they could use the platform to really help them get exposure? I think you nailed it. I think to me, interview-based podcasts are just ads 99% of the time. Like, late night talk shows are ads. Like they're, they're interviewing <laughs> right. celebrities that are interesting that tell canned stories. Now podcasting is much better than that because you get an hour with that person, you get more time sure. and you really do talk about that person's story, but it's an ad, it's an ad and it's a branding exercise for an individual. So like how I built this is an amazing ad platform to me. Like those are interviews. Like I just listened to the Kodiak cake interview. And I'm like, I'm going to go buy 50 boxes of pancake mix because this is so cool. And I went to chicken salad chick because that was like the best interview I had ever heard in my life. And that is, should be the goal of a brand is to, if you have a spokesperson who's that good on an interview, there's your ad. And also, of course, you want to also be buying ads in podcasting, uh, especially if you can do so natively. But yeah, podcast interviews are to me a 30 to 60 minute long native ad. (laughs) So those are the ways we encourage people to utilize podcasting is placing ads on the right shows that reach the right people. 
and then using your executives or spokespeople or your researchers or your cool, interesting employees to be assets for interviews, to, to get your brand out there and to really talk about what you're doing with more than 60 seconds of time. For sure. And I totally agree with you. The reality is that interviews are great ads for your company. And they're a lot of fun. To It's such a great platform to be able to, to get out there and talk about what it is that you're doing, what your company is doing. And I often tell people that if you are unsure about whether you should jump into podcast advertising, mm. start with interviews because they don't cost a ton and you can get out there and see how it works. If you have some traction with an interview, chances are you're going to have traction with ads too. Granted, they're different for sure, yes. but I think that it's a good way of going about it. However, one of the things I always tell people is that if you're looking to interviews to either prove the value of podcasts, or if you're looking to interviews to you know, create some action, whether that's grow listenership or sell more product, you do have to make sure that you're actually getting interviewed on podcasts that have a decent audience. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that's a little controversial to say because I feel often that people in the industry say things like, oh, it doesn't matter. And hey, if you were talking to a room of 50 or 200 people, that would be amazing. And it is, right? It, like, we don't want to discount that. But also if you're using it specifically for a vehicle that you want to relate to grow, that you want mm -hmm. conversions out of it, you need to get on podcasts that are actually sizable so that you can see the results. And I feel like that's where a product like Podchaser really comes into play so well, because it can be really challenging, especially for somebody that isn't in the podcast space at all to come in and say, how many downloads does this show have, right? Do they have 10? listeners? Do they have 10,000? Do they have a hundred thousand? The average person really has no idea. And so it sounds to me like Podchaser really gives them that, that information and that data that they really wouldn't have the ability to find anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. I think you're totally right. There's nothing wrong with a podcast that gets 20 downloads. The CEO of Coca-Cola, it's not a good exercise to get on that podcast unless those 20 people were like, I don't know, like presidents of nations or something. And that's a good, that's a good thought exercise because if, if you're selling yachts and you are on a podcast that has listeners that all are yacht owners or people who want to buy yachts, if it has 50 people, that's a great opportunity. But for more general thought leadership or brand awareness, you do have to pay attention to, to reach eventually. For sure. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with, with having that conversation. It's controversial, but it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I do think you make a, a really good point, which is it all depends on your goals, right? If right. your goal is just to get better at doing podcast interviews, have at it, do as many as you want. If your goal is to reach a specific, very targeted audience, and this show has 50 of those target people, that mm. could be worth way more than 50,000 untargeted people. So yep. I mean, really, you have to look at it from all those perspectives. But I think one of the big challenges that we see in the space over and over again is assessing the size of podcast audiences. And I feel like credit to a lot of podcasts. I know when I first got in this space, I was like, 
what you have a thousand downloads? Like, how is that possible? Because I think people do oftentimes present themselves very professionally. And Mm. you, a lot of times might assume that a show has a much larger audience than they actually have. And so I think a tool like yours is so valuable because it maybe does give you more of the data that really does help make decisions. Yep. To me, you have to set the table. People just need access to data. Right. To make decisions, period. And there's nothing wrong with that. And this argument, and that, that's that's the conflict between independent podcasters and the big publishers. There are different goals and there's nothing wrong with having different goals, but we, we just have to have more transparency about reach to to grow the industry. I hear so many times brands saying, it's just like a black box. Like, how can I scale an advertising plan if I don't have data on 75% of shows. And that's a problem. If, if this industry is going to supplant radio, which I think it will, then we have to have standardization and some taxonomy and some just table stakes. And then it'll continue growing like it is. I think these tools just need to be used more widely. And from our like very short stint in this space, Everyone wants it. People are very hungry for this data because people want to spend money on podcasting. I think people are sold on that piece of it. Like podcasting has tremendous value. People that listen to podcasts tend to spend money, tend to be ideal consumers. And now it's our responsibility from the industry perspective to provide the tools to do that efficiently. Mm-hmm. I think that comment was so powerful because as you said, these are table stakes, right? And that's one of the things I struggle with a bit in the industry is I understand its history. I understand where it's come from, but I also think that if we really do want to take strides forward, we have to get realistic about the baseline of information that has to be provided for advertisers to see the value. And that data can come in a variety of different ways. And I know there are a lot of companies like Podchaser working to provide us that data. And I do really believe that all of it is coming and is growing right now, which is exciting. But I, I, we have to realize that is a baseline that advertisers have to have that information in order to invest heavily. And mm-hmm. if we want them to invest heavily, we have to give them the tools that they need to make those buying decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I think because of the genesis of podcasting and the like bizarre, fragmented, independent weirdness. That's why podcasting is awesome. And that's why there is this tension between an iHeart show that has half the listenership of some person in their basement. That's what's so cool. And so bridging that gap, that's why it's challenging. Because if you're in TV, you may be consolidating information from 100 channels. In podcasting, it's 2 million um, channels. And so some of which are part of an organization, some of which are completely independent, most of which are independent. So I think that's the, the, the tension that's always there is just how do we organize this inherently unorganized space without pissing everybody off <laughs> and in a way that helps it grow? Because everyone wants it to grow. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants everyone in the world to listen to their podcast. So yeah, it's a balancing act. I think you... you have to maintain and fight for the independent element of this, or it's not going to work. It's just going to turn into radio. And I don't think anybody wants that. So 
it's fascinating. Like, I think if you really look at the history of podcasting, it makes total sense why it is the way it is today. And it's getting much better at a, at a really quick clip. And I think that's exciting. But yeah, hopefully podcasting does maintain its weirdness. I think that's why people love it so much. I totally agree. Yeah, totally. So I'm curious, as you look to, we're recording this kind of mid-January. So as you look to the upcoming year, maybe pandemic aside, because no one really knows what's going to happen with that. I'm curious what your predictions are for the industry and then also how you see Podchaser kind of fitting into to that growth potential. I think there's going to be a lot more consolidation. I think that's going to continue to happen at least for another year. It may slow down after that, but I think that you're going to look at like the New York Times, I think is going to do some interesting things uh, and has an interesting opportunity in audio. Obviously, Spotify and Apple and Sirius are going to continue to invest in the space. I think that is a good thing overall, (laughs) that there is going to be some sort of consolidation. At the same time, I think people are going to continue being independent, making great independent podcasts. It's just, I think it's going to be less often where you see a podcast with a million downloads not tied to a network. Right now, it still definitely happens, but they're going to be picked up really quick because it's all about this race for content and and trying to grab someone's attention for an hour on Amazon Music versus Pandora versus Spotify versus Apple like into their ecosystem. So I think that's going to continue to happen. I think there are plenty of awesome companies that are still primed to be a part of a network, especially from a content perspective. For Podchaser, I think our goal remains to be like the picks and shovels. Like we we want to keep building tools. We want to maintain our identity as a third party, which I think is really powerful for things like taste making and analytics and keeping everyone honest more more or less. Yeah, I think this year we're gonna do a lot more with gamification. We're gonna do a lot more to foster the relationship between a podcaster and their podcast listener with community tools, which I think is really exciting and a huge gap in the industry. Like people are talking to each other on Patreon or what? Like or Facebook groups. Like it's just it's all over the place. And I think that we have a cool opportunity to keep that relationship in one place tied to an archive. Everything needs to be tied to an archive. I think that's why Podchaser works. It seems like every week there's some cool gossip or another acquisition or something happening. And it's fun to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that it is such a great time to be part of a growing industry and knowing that essentially we're all creating the foundations of what is to come is pretty, pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. How can people take advantage of, of really all the offerings that you have? Yeah. So if you're a listener, if you're just a podcast listener, make an account, it's free and great interview stuff, follow people. If you're a podcaster, it's free. Just come on and claim your podcast, add people, add creators, add your guests, add your producer, make sure everything's connected. I think that it's just another place for people to discover your show. Your show is likely already on Podchaser. Um, so make sure you claim it and spruce it up how you like it. And then if you're a brand or an agency or a PR firm or nonprofit, apparently, I think Pro is a great tool set. And there's a little Pro button on the homepage that you can get more information there. Our podcasters really want Pro tools too. So I think that's going to be coming soon is we're going to have some Pro functionality. 
for podcasters that want a little bit more out of the platform, a little bit more networking ability within the platform. So that'll be a kind of a coming soon. But for now, it's comp- everything's totally free for a podcaster. So just utilize the free stuff for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bradley. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And I do really encourage everybody listening to go on Podchaser, just check it out. Like Bradley said, it's free to create an account if you're if you're so inclined. So I would really encourage you to go check it out because I think there's some great things happening and really a whole lot more to come, it sounds like, in the months and years ahead of us. So thanks, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.